Welcome to the Answers from Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Lalone. In each episode, you'll hear from leaders across the world. You'll hear their struggles, their thoughts on leadership, and a parting word of wisdom from each guest. Are you ready to hear Answers from Leadership? I hope you are, because it's coming at you right now. Welcome to Episode 12 of the Answers from Leadership Podcast. Before I introduce our guest, Leanne Shapiro, I wanted to let you know that there were a couple of issues recording this episode. You may notice a couple of echoes and other hiccups. Regardless of these issues, I know you'll discover how to better interact with your peers. Now, on to the show. Today, we have Leanne Shapiro. Leanne served as a CEO of Vistage from March 2013 through January 2016 and is currently a member of Vistage's Board of Directors. He has led numerous peer advantage work groups addressing top executives, mid-level employees, and business organizations around the country. He also currently serves as a board member for the advisory board company. Leanne, what else do you want listeners to know about you? Thanks, Joe. Well, um, I grew up in South Africa, which is uh, where the accent is from. I often get that as the first question, Um, although I've been uh, working and living in the United States uh, since the 1980s. and uh, I'm a passionate photographer as a hobby um, and also a volleyball player, which is volleyball played on a school racquetball court. Oh, that's oh, interesting. That's- <laughs> interesting. I've never heard of – was it volleyball? Yeah, most people have not. <laughs> and um, so it's, uh, it's a great game. It's very fast. It's um, social, competitive – uh, two on two, even four on four, and a uh, very fast game. You basically can use the walls to bounce the ball off of. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. You've been a leader for quite some time. What does leadership look like to you? So leadership, it's interesting, um, certainly evolves over the course of your career. And I think um, what I would say now looking back on leadership is it's really about setting direction, making sure your people have the tools and resources that they need and stepping out of the way and encouraging and empowering them to really do the job. For me, leadership and the hardest learning for leadership um, in my own personal case has been actually encouraging, realizing that, that you set direction, make sure people have resources, and then really step out of the way and allow them to perform. At some point in every leader's journey, they failed. Yep. What's one failure you've experienced, and what did you learn from this experience? Yeah. So I think the, the failure that I experienced um, more than anything else has been the, the thought that I should be doing everything myself and I should actually be doing the work. And so what really happens is by doing that and by getting in there, rolling your sleeves up and feeling like you have to do a lot of the work, you're disenfranchising the people you're leading. And it really um, served to, to teach me a lot, and um, I realized that it was very inefficient. Uh, an example of that would be something simply like preparing for board meetings, which most CEOs and leaders feel it's, is their responsibility. And so you, over, you overdo it. You, take, you, know, you worry about every single detail, and instead of really, again, setting a vision, a direction, the goals of what you're trying to accomplish and letting people help you succeed. Um, one of the things I've really realized as a leader is for the most part, 
the people that you are leading really have your interests at heart and want you to succeed. A successful leader means that they're successful. And so if you just keep that in mind all the time, um, you, you really learn to leverage people in a, in a good way. And if you try to do the job for them, that's where failure begins to creep in. I've heard that from a lot of other leaders and experienced it myself as well. Um, you know, oh, absolutely. Why do you think we continue to fall into that trap? Well, I think, Joe, it's a combination of the control in a lot of us need to, needing to control the situation and feeling like as CEOs we have that responsibility to know everything and know how to do everything. Um, and really the difference between managing and leading is, is what it all comes down to. As a, as a manager, you feel like you need to be more informed, better at doing everything. And the reality is that's not your role at all. Your role as a leader is to put the right team of people around you and put the right team of people in place, make sure that they have clarity of vision and clarity of purpose. And that's really difficult for some people to do. As as growing leaders and evolving leaders early on in our careers, we often feel that pressure of wanting to know everything and in, in every little detail. And in fact, that's often the baggage that slows us down in leadership. I mean, you recently wrote a book called The Power of Peers with Leo Batari. What's so powerful about our peers? So one of the things that, that I learned is that regardless of what leadership position you're in, but certainly as a CEO, everyone around you is, even if their intent is pure, is giving you advice that is not by definition objective. So whether that is, you know, your family, your board, your employees, all of that advice that you're getting from them, well-intentioned as it may be, has one inherent problem, and that is those people have some sort of a stake in the outcome or what will happen as a result of giving that advice. And I thought back and, and, and think back to my days, even starting um, at high school, and how my thinking has evolved and was informed and shaped by the people I kept around me and my peers. It starts at a very early age. In fact, in the book, I, I talk about the first day that uh, Debbie and I, my wife Debbie and I, um, put Danielle, um, our oldest daughter, on the school bus to go to high school. And I turned to Debbie and said, for the next four years, we've lost our ability to really parent Danielle, that her life is going to be shaped and formed by those that she surrounds herself with. And so it's something that is so natural. It's so instinctive. We do it all the time in various forms. And what Leo and I did over the last few years is really talked about how it applies to leadership and how critically important it is. It was important in high school. It's important at all stages of life. And what we talk about in The Power of Peers is moving from just interacting with peers to something we call peer advantage. And really the, the sense of no CEO should go through leading a company without having the benefit of those peers around them. I think there's kind of been a principle of that. I can't remember who said it, but you're basically the, some of the five people you hang around the most – and if you hang around with the right peers, does it apply that same way? 
Yeah, I mean, th- th- this is uh, this is the uh, power of the research that we did in the book. In fact, what we discovered is, look, we all interact with people in some way, shape, or form, from online interaction through you know Yelp and and other things to reaching out to people um, more specifically through networking. Um, these are things we do every single day. And all we're saying is that there is a much higher form of that because, in fact, you listen to the people around you um, very, very carefully and with a whole different headset than you do those people who are very close to you. And so surrounding yourself with people who can deliver the tough message, who can tell you when they think what you're saying doesn't make sense, who only have an interest in you getting better and learning more and it really is just a higher form of what happens in life all the time. And so who, you're, who you surround yourself with really matters. And how you interact with those people is some of the power that you get and some of the value that you get from the concept of a peer group. Um, and speaking of peer groups, you and Leo share five essential factors for any peer advisory group so that you can exploit the benefits of that peer advantage. What are those factors? Yeah, so um, we, we talk about a group, and there are different forms of group. As I said, this concept of networking, of connecting, of optimizing, all, all of that happens day to day. What we say, though, is the research that we've done in order to have a very effective group of peers, there are these five factors. And the five factors are, number one, select the right peers, Number two, create a safe environment for that interaction to happen. Number three, utilize what we call a smart guide. Think of that as a facilitator, a coach. Um, Two, make sure that you're fostering and creating valuable interactions between and amongst the group. And number five, be accountable. And the be accountable part is actually very, very critical. And, And what we go into in the book is how people naturally do feel accountable to their peers in a very, very strong and effective way. And it's one of the key ingredients to really getting the group to function effectively and to achieve what we call peer advantage. And what's one of those ways that you can be held accountable in your peer group? So a good example of this, Joe, is let's just um, say, for example, you're bringing a business issue or or a personal issue that's related to business and talking about it with your peers in your group. Um, and there's a, there's a process we go into in the book that uh, makes that a lot more effective. But at the end of the day, you've had, let's call it a dozen other people, spend an hour or two with you, listening to you, understanding what your issue is, helping you to solve it, suggesting things. And you then feel accountable. If you've asked those people to spend that time with you, You feel accountable, number one, but number two, in a good group and the way these groups work, they're going to want to hold you accountable. So in most peer groups that are very effective, the facilitator or the smart guide, as we call them, will start every meeting out by revisiting any commitments that were made in the prior month or the prior quarter or the last time that the group met. And so you want to go to that meeting knowing look, my peers spent an hour or two with me. I might have interacted with them in between the meetings. We talked about a lot of things, and I'm, I feel accountable to give them an update on what I've done or what I haven't done or is there some follow-up that is needed. 
And by the way, I, as the individual who brought the issue to the group, feel very, very good, comfortable, and take some sense of, of comfort in the fact that I actually do have a group of people who are concerned and want to make sure that the help that they've given is effective. And so that circle just makes for an incredibly powerful um, situation where everyone feels accountable. Yeah, that sounds great, you know, especially knowing that in the next meeting you're going to have somebody say, hey, you know, here's what we all committed to. Where are you at in that process? Uh, absolutely. And, and by the way, the commitment that you made at that previous meeting, it's not like you feel an ownership to do everything that you're being told. But after you've heard from your peers and you've heard everything they've talked about or suggested – Usually at the end of that, you'll sit there and say, look, I, I heard these 10 things and here are the three things that I think work for me and I'm going to go work on these three things over the course of the next month or two months. And so I don't want your listeners to get the impression that you know, you ha- you're accountable to do everything that is suggested. That's not the case at all. You're accountable to do what you agree to do. And I want to go back to that first, to that first essential factor for the peer groups which is selecting the right peers. Yep. I've seen this be a struggle with other leaders. How does a leader find the right peers? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. And in fact, um, what we found in our research is that what you would normally think, so for example, um, you're familiar with the IT space. So if you went out and found a group of peers, your natural instinct may be to go and find a group of people who are like you, in the IT space and have a sort of technical knowledge of, of, your, um, of what you do at work. And in fact, what we found is that the most powerful thing you can do is to find a group of peers who may be at the same stage of leadership um, or have different levels of experience, but actually bring perspectives from different industries and different walks of life. Because the reality is that the knowledge or the technical knowledge, the knowledge of your particular vertical or whatever industry you're in is a lot easier to find. What is harder to find is having the benefit of 12 or or 16 other peers who bring leadership experience from a completely different perspective. And what we found in these groups as we did study after study is some of the most valuable feedback that CEOs and leaders received in their peer groups has been from people who are totally outside of their industry because they look at the world very differently. For example, I'm in a group and we have two members of our group that represent the millennials. And so if I'm dealing with an issue, how valuable is it to me to have that perspective of someone who will sit there and say, you know what, Leon, I hear you, but what you're saying and the language you're using is going to go right over the heads. I don't really understand what you're saying. So let me help you develop that thought and put it in a way, words, nomenclature, and a tone that'll resonate with that generation. And so having a diverse group is one of the most powerful things that you can bring, and it's not the natural thing you would first think of. We don't realize what we don't know, or we don't realize how we can come off to people, sharing our visions and our passions, saying, hey, you know, Leon, your, your, your voice isn't reaching us. We need something else. That's exactly right. And and again, um, we talk to people and interact with people all day as leaders in a particular vertical or a particular industry. Most of our interaction takes place within that industry. 
um, or people that we work with. And so that people get what you really want is that outside perspective. Um, you know, we, we have a great example of, in, in the book of, of where someone, um, you know, had a factory and had some downtime during the summer period. And it took someone from another industry to say, you know, that's the exact time that the people I know need production capacity. Now, you would never have thought of that. And they went into a line that was totally in left field. But all it was using was the capacity that was down and that production capacity. And this individual really um, drove the value of their business up exponentially because of that. Yeah, that'd be a great breakthrough for any business. Yeah. What happens if we discover we brought the wrong peer into our group? Yeah. Um, great, Great question, Joe. I think this is where our focus on a smart guide, and we spend a whole chapter talking about the value a smart guide brings, comes into play. And so a smart guide really makes sure that that um, there are some group norms and some operating principles that the group uses to interact. And, you know, both the smart guide and the group really have to decide who the other members are and how they interact. And so, for example, um, you know, you may not want someone in that group who really isn't engaged and doesn't participate um, or, or someone who um, isn't at the right level or maturity level of leadership um, where they really understand how important listening is and, and how to listen because uh, the value of the group is predicated on really understanding the other person's perspective, listening without being judgmental, trying to see the point of view that they bring in and then after you've understood that bring in your sort of recommendations or suggestions and your perspective and so i think a smart guide is is one of the most important criteria that you can have to make sure that there is a fit in the group and there is the right fit and, and good peer groups will be thoughtful about adding members if a member should leave for example they'll be thoughtful about um, you know, do we need someone representing a different kind of industry, a different stage of leadership, a different generation, et cetera? It's almost like forming a, a board where you want these diverse perspectives. And you mentioned you just just a second ago about, you know, if somebody leaves, is there typically a guideline on, on that? Members can leave at a certain time or um, their businesses change. Is there should there be a, a rule in place? No. Um, so. So. You know, look, if, if you're participating in a peer group of CEOs and, you know, you've sold your business, um, you know, a year or two after that, your, your um, experience may not be as current. But you still have a lot of value to bring to that group. Um, and I think, look, uh, typically we find that people will stay in a peer group for five to seven years, um, which is a pretty long time if you think of the average tenure, for example, of a CEO. And um, people don't want to leave the group once they've sort of bonded with the other people in that group, once they've developed a level of trust, a level of safety. Um, It becomes very important in their lives, not just for running their businesses, um, but for all aspects of their lives. Because for people who own and run their own businesses, the dividing line between personal and professional is very gray. Um, If you, for example, own and run a business – and God forbid you're diagnosed with cancer or something like that, you know, that's a personal issue, but it's very much a business issue because 
how you deal with it in your business, how you either tell your employees, engage them, etc. That those are all business issues, and so people develop that level of um, reliance upon their group, and and they don't typically like to leave until their situation really changes completely. They move out of the area geographically. Or they sell their business. Um, those are usually the reasons that people decide to to move on because once they experience it, they don't let it go. Have you found those in the peer groups have are uncomfortable opening up to their peers? Um, I, I think it takes uh, it takes a little while because I think originally or initially when you join a peer group, the natural instinct is to say, you know, I'm going to take my financial problem and get the view of everyone how to restructure my balance sheet and, and all of that is good and great but the group's going to want to know and understand where that's coming from or why you want to do that or what's behind that or what's driving that in order for them to be very helpful they really need to understand the context in which decisions are getting made we have this um a great sort of thing that we have experienced in groups and we uncovered in the research, and that is more than half the time, the issue that a member will bring to his or her peers is not really the driving issue. The underlying issue is something very different. And so very often a, a problem or an issue is stated and manifests this way in, in a very tangible thing. Like, for example, I, I need to get refinancing when perhaps the real issue is a bloated cost structure that needs to be adjusted and, and, and you know, the, the leader doesn't want to make the painful decisions around that. And so it takes people a while um, to get into the group, but a good group and a good smart guide really will very quickly get that person into the group, get that person feeling, understanding that they're in a very safe environment you know, we have the Ve- the Vegas rule exists in all these groups in order for them to be successful. Whatever happens or is discussed in that group stays in the group. And so trust is absolutely a requirement. And once you get through that, people very quickly open up. As we're wrapping up, I'd like, like to ask three questions of every guest. Yep. Um, first, what is it that you'd wish you'd known about leadership 10 years ago? <laughs> a lot. Um, but I think mostly the, the piece that I alluded to earlier, which is, you know, leadership really is about setting direction. It really is about being able to clearly articulate a vision, being clearly being able to clearly articulate what you're trying to accomplish and do, and making sure that everyone around you and everyone in your organization can clearly articulate the same thing so that they actually do internalize it and understand it. And people just do amazing things when you have that clarity. And, you know, again, I, I wish I 10 years ago, I would have known how to work a lot smarter rather than a lot harder. Right. Um, and I know we've mentioned your book, The Power of Peers. Is there another book, either yours, your friends, you know, something um, from somewhere else that's t- impacted your leadership? Or you think? You know, I've read a lot of leadership books, and um, I'm going to go back to one that I read probably more than 10 years ago, which creeps in all of the time. And, and believe it or not, it wasn't necessarily a leadership book. It's Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And it really, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, and then there's a whole series of them, really taught the value of worrying about 
rocks and not getting consumed and into all of the small little things that have a tendency to divert your attention, your focus, and your energy away from the real things. And those are the things that tend to really drag you down and get you down. And learning how to put those in the context of what the real issues are and focus more on the big things and not let those things get in your way was a huge lesson for me. And so I really value that book. I keep it around. It's always close to me. Um, you know, it's a quick read. It's a lot of little examples and little stories, and I love it. Do you have anything else you'd like to share with listeners today? Yeah, you know, I think, Joe, um, the same way that I'm going to leave this interview, I'm not going to drive home without putting my seatbelt on. That same context and thinking should be applied, and, and for me, it was important applying in leadership. Don't think or feel like you need to lead alone. Um, it really is unbelievable how much value you get from those you surround yourself with. And there is no reason for you to have to do it alone. There is power in your peers. There is power in those you surround them, yourself with. And I just think that it isn't the first thing people think of, but, but what we found in our research and what we've seen in the hundreds and thousands of these peer groups of all sorts of shapes and forms that we've um, witnessed and, and seen is that's the power we want to take to people who just um, aren't leveraging it out there because it is um, it, it really helps and empowers you and it allows you to lead at a completely different level. Yeah, that's some great closing advice. Um, thank you for being on the show today, Leon. If listeners enjoyed what they heard, where can they find you online? Absolutely. Um, Thepowerofpeers.com is uh, the the website. Um, The book is available also on Amazon or on Twitter at Leon D. Shapiro. All right. Thank you again, Leon. Thanks, Joe. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you discovered why having a peer group is so powerful. If you enjoyed Leon's message, I'd encourage you to pick up his book, The Power of Peers. You can find a link to it on the show notes page for this podcast episode at jmlalonde.com slash 012. While there, you can also enter to win a copy of The Power of Peers. This giveaway will run for one week. Thanks for joining us on this episode, and we'll see you next time.